I'm Bob Sullivan, the new host of AARP's The Perfect Scam Podcast. And with Frank Abagnale and other top fraud experts, we're bringing you brand new episodes of America's most shocking scam stories. I got an email alerting me to 22 accounts that had been opened up in my name. Scam was masterfully designed. New episodes available now. Subscribe to The Perfect Scam Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Two kinds of bacon and all kinds of delicious. Say hello to Donato's new Bacon Duo pizzas. Two pizzas each with two kinds of bacon. Try the new Pepperoni Bacon Duo with pepperoni, Canadian bacon, and hardwood smoked bacon. And the Chipotle Bacon Duo with Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Now get $2 off a large Bacon Duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. Welcome back to another episode of Coffee and a Combo Podcast. Um, I am one of your hosts, Jenna. And I'm the other one, Cameron. Um, I am the brunette, and Cameron is the blonde. Um, in case you don't know our voices yet, we like to do this from time to time if you haven't noticed. So today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Um, I was kind of brainstorming different ideas for um, something to do, and kind of sprung this on camera and I'm like, I'm going to do this and you're going to sit there and listen and we're going to talk about it. And she's like, okay, sounds good. <laughs> um, but with everything that's going on with like the virus right now and all that kind of stuff and, um, and I've had a lot of thoughts on like when feminism first started rearing up to like what it looks like now and like all that kind of stuff and just had some different thoughts going on through my head. This random thought came to me. Oh, and also um, spurred on by the fact that I am going to be rooming with um like three nursing majors coming up here pretty Mm -hmm. soon um I'm like you know what we should do we should look into I kind of was thinking about doing a history episode anyway like a cool story in history or something like that you know kind of making it in a story outline format whatever and talking about it but then I was like you know what we should do we should do the first like female doctor so what it actually is, it pulls up on, on Wikipedia is the first female licensed physician. And so that is what we're going to be talking about today. But before we jump into that, Cameron, tell us what we're drinking. Okay, so we are just drinking an iced tea. It has been, it's probably like the warmest day it has been yet. Um, it is the middle of April when we rec- well actually it's like the end of April when we are recording this and it was finally nice enough to go outside in a tank top, you guys. And so I made... Iced tea, my family actually drinks this, like, every single day, like, twice a day. Yeah. <laughs> they drink it, like, every single meal, and so, um, but yeah, I was like, I'm gonna make this, bring it over. It's Taj Mahal tea, and so it's actually, like, loose tea, and then you steep it in hot water for five minutes, and then you pour it over sugar, because I, I tell you guys, I don't eat, really consume sugar, but I, with this tea, like... It ooh. tastes so good. And when I'm making the specialty, when we're making the specialty drinks, I kind of go for it, but... So you, we, my mom uses like a third of, a third or a fourth of the sugar that it calls for. So for like an entire batch, she uses half a cup. So she said that it's like literally 30 calories a glass of tea. So it's like. It's so good. Hardly any sugar. It's like the perfect amount of sweetness. Yeah. It's like hard. It just takes out the bitter and stuff. And it's so refreshing and it's yummy. So that is what we're drinking today. It's Taj Mahal black tea. So. How was your day today, Cameron? It was good. Um, well, wow. I just said it was good and I attended a funeral, but. Um, Jenna's like, that's so sad. All right, wow. Um, Jumping right in. No, it was, it was good. He was older, and so it's more of, like, when you know when someone older dies, it's more of, like, a celebration of their life, and you get to, like, be with a bunch of your family and stuff. So, that's how today was, and with COVID, it's a little different. It was just family that was, that came, and they did, like, a graveside service, and then, um, like I said, just family, and then we all had, like, a mini picnic after that. But then I sat outside and did my homework, and I didn't work at all today. Mm. So, because um, I've been working at my dad's shop, and so I didn't work at all today, so that was kind of nice to take a break. But, how about you? My day was pretty good, pretty um, pretty uneventful. I was down helping out my mom's vet office, making giant cow pills. <laughs> They're like, it's it. so weird. I'm like covered in, like, I don't know, the 
the different meds we put in there are like all, it like powdery. powdery. And so I'm like covered in like a layer of powder. And the second that I got home, I was like working to finish this up really quick. Yeah. Because I had all of the great intentions for the past week to get this done, but like every night something came up. Like I was gonna get it done last night, and then we I had to do I had to do I got to do small group with my mom. Mm, mm-hmm. And so then that was last night. And then the night before that, we were recording with the boys, right. and we've just, I don't know, my schedule's been, cr- like, crazy, and I can't handle it because I've been in quarantine mode right? for the past month, and all of a sudden uh, I'm like, I have to, like, organize my schedule again, and I, I don't know how to handle it, and I haven't worked out for, like, three days, which isn't, doesn't seem like a big deal, but it's, like, a big deal for me, mm-hmm. and so I'm, like, kind of going a little crazy, but... It's a good day. I yes. got this done, like, as you're walking in the door. I made you sit here awkwardly for, like, ten minutes while I was finishing up the end of this. It's okay. I was getting inspiration for our Instagram, so it's all good. That's awesome. And, so you all can get excited, I just locked down a deal. I should... Not, not a deal. Um, locked down another guest episode with someone for this summer. So that's pretty exciting. Cameron's looking at me because she has like, no what? idea what I'm talking about. Wow. No, we talked about it before. Okay, it's one of those ones. Yeah. Okay. But I finally, I finally asked him, and he's like, "Well, kind of need to mentally prepare myself." I'm like, "It's not that bad." Like, told him a little bit about it. He's like, "Okay, yeah, I guess we could do that." And like, sounds great. So got that done today. So yeah, we have so many great ideas for you yeah, guys. We have a lot so coming up. The ball is rolling. The ball and also, is rolling. I'd like to point out we just mentioned it, but I was telling Jenna when she was coming back to our hometown, I was like. This is so funny. Like, we are both working, like, farmer jobs. Like, farm town jobs. Right. And we're used, to, we're used to, like, working at, like, boutiques and stuff in, like, Sioux Falls. Right. And so, it's just kind of funny. Like, things will do for money. <laughs> but Th- Yeah. Th- things will do for money. But thankful for it. So. Very, very thankful. And it's, I don't know, you know, it's it's going with the flow. I think, it, I think it says a lot because I think a lot of people right now are, like, losing their ever-loving minds. But I think it says a lot about you and me both and a lot of other people who are in the same kind of boat you can just kind of roll with the punches and be like well it is what it is there's no sense sitting around being sad about it like what do we do now where do we go from here like me to make money it might not be my ideal thing but like this is what you do for a living and this is what you do to pay the bills right exactly yeah Yeah. because sorry guys but we're not we're not high enough off in the pod where all you guys aren't paying our bills exactly like Like we said, our one anchor ad, our one anchor ad. But, <laughs> but I mean, we we made like. But on that note, on that note, you guys should share our podcast, rate and review us. Literally, get so excited about it and share it with everyone because if you guys share it with everyone and we get more listens, then we qualify to make to more make money. a little more money. Yes, so, we're. We, we bring you the content, you bring us the listeners, so we can get the money, so we can bring you even better content. It's a share, share. It's a share, share. It's yeah. how this works. It's mutualism. I think I just learned about that in Mutualism. Science. In science. Is that the right word? I think so. It's, okay. when, it's, when, like, it's when, like, two things, like, it's, I just read about it, it's, like, fungus and algae, I think, like, get one of them gives one of them the one protection and the other gives the other one food, so they're both getting something out of the relationship. Unlike if a tapeworm is inside you, well, then it's like, I can't remember what that one's called, but only the tapeworm is like eating your food. And so, and you're not like, it's not giving you anything in return. So it's weird. Yeah. It's a scientific term, guys. Okay. So with ending on that great note (laughs) of tapeworms, we're going to jump into this episode about Elizabeth Blackwell. Alright, so I told you guys a little bit before, a little bit of inspiration about what went into me wanting to do this episode, just kind of randomly out of the blue, honestly, but um, I think it's, I've been getting more and more into history lately, and I never used to be into history, I'm like, whatever, it's whatever, Um, but I've been getting more and more into history lately, because I'm like, it's so, it's so, so, so important to know where we came from and the people who came before us to make it possible for us to live the lives we're living now. And, like, that might sound a little bit cheesy, but as I was going through this story, I'm like, I'm like, I can't even believe this was ever a world. Like, it's absolutely insane. And then, it, and then you even, we'll get into a little bit more of kind of what, um, what feminism looked like back then, because I think, without a doubt, Elizabeth Blackwell was a feminist leader of her day and, um, was pretty radical in a lot of her belief systems and stuff like that. But you go from, like, from, like, hey women can be doctors too 
to now, like, our feminism is, like, free the nipple. Like, you know, yeah. it's just, I, I don't know. It's so, it's so weird. And not saying that, that movements that are happening today aren't important, but I think it's so important to, for us to look back and be like, okay, but while we're here getting upset about sometimes, not always, but sometimes very trivial things, like, there were huge, 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 like, roadblocks and hurdles that the women and people before us had to overcome to get us to where we are today Mm -hmm. in like a lot of more ways than one so with that being said i'll read you guys my little report on elizabeth blackwell we'll talk about it if you ever feel like jumping i don't i'm not like an expert but if you ever like want to jump into questions comments okay i'm ready to do it are you ready for this she told me it was like she wrote a document for like a report for school pretty much pretty much um pretty excited um haven't done that for a while because (laughs) college was a no-go for me but we're going Okay, so Elizabeth Blackwell was born February 3rd, 1821. Um, she was a British physician, notable as the first woman to receive a medical degree in the United States and the first woman on the medical register of the General Medical Council. Blackwell played an important role in both the United States and the United Kingdom as a social awareness and moral reformer and pioneered in promoting education for women in medicine. Her contributions remain celebrated with the Elizabeth Blackwell Medal awarded annually to a woman who has made significant contributions to the promotion of women in medicine. So, it's her little overview on Wikipedia. Oh, also before I get into this, um, all of my information was pretty much copy and pasted from Wikipedia and found in the podcast episode um, that the Stuff You Should Know, Stuff You Should Know podcast, the episode they did on her. And also, um, the way I heard it by Ron Howard, an episode that he did. So, contributions all came from them. Um, okay, so Elizabeth was born on February 3rd, 1821 in Bristol, England to Samuel Blackwell, who was a sugar refiner, and his wife Hannah Lane Blackwell. She had two older siblings and would eventually have six younger siblings. One of her sisters would eventually follow her into the medical field. In 1832, the family immigrated from Bristol, England to New York because Samuel Blackwell had lost their most profitable sugar refinery to a fire. In New York, her father became active in abolitionist work. So pretty much, they went from, like, high life in the UK to kind of not-so-high life in the the U.S. Yeah. Okay. So, um... So, their dinner-time conversation often surrounded issues such as women's rights, slavery, and child labor. These liberal discussions reflected Hannah and Samuel's attitudes towards child-rearing. So, in the, you know, early 1800s or whatever, this was obviously, like, weird. Like, this was weird behavior. They had weird belief systems, weird thoughts. Like, what? You don't beat your children? Like, that's pretty weird. What? You you don't agree with slavery? That's pretty weird. Like, all these, they had very, um, like, um, early for their time thoughts about how the world should be, right? Out of the ordinary. Um, their father didn't believe in beating his children or using any form of physical discipline. Instead, kept track of their behavior in a book, and after so many strikes, would punish them different ways, like exiling them to the attic during dinner, Um, This was quite forward and unusual thinking and behavior for the time. Like, everyone physically disciplined their kids. It it wasn't even a controversial topic at the time, like it is today. Um, Samuel Blackwell was uh, similarly liberal in his attitude towards the education of his children. He believed that each child, including his girls, should be given the opportunity for unlimited development of their talents and gifts. Which, again, was a rare form of thinking for that time. You know, most women were like... You belong in the kitchen, you know, raise the kids, you belong in the home, you don't need an education, like, whatever. It wasn't important for women to have educations. Um, So, Elizabeth Blackwell not only had a governess, which is a nanny, in case anyone doesn't know, but also numerous private tutors who were diligent, diligent in teaching her and treating her no different than her brothers. A few years after the family moved to New York, the family moved to Cincinnati, Ohio, When Blackwell was 17, her father passed away, leaving the family with very little money. Being left with little money, the Blackwell sisters opened a school. The school and teachings weren't innovative by any means, but merely a form of income for the family. But still, like... They still opened a school. They still opened a school. I feel like that's a pretty big feat. Like, they kind of just, like, glossed over it, but I'm like, "Mm, 
I feel, yeah. I feel like that's no small thing, getting a school together. And not only, I think they said it taught, they taught, like, French and a few other things, but they, it wasn't just a school. It was also, like, a business because they um, charged for classes and board. So it was almost like a downplayed college, it sounded like. Okay. Which I feel like is no small feat. Right. Um, so a conservative backlash caused the school to later be abandoned in 1842. In the 18 early in the early 1840s, Elizabeth Blackwell's interests in teaching and reform were renewed thanks to William Henry Channing, which is a whole nother story that and I was gonna add it in here, but I decided against it because I didn't feel like it. Um <laughs> Like, it was a lot of work. We'll just gloss over that. But if you want to read more, you know, the internet is a vast, vast place. Um, okay, so she worked at intellectual self-improvement, studying art, attending various lectures, writing short stories, and attending religious services in all denominations. Quaker, Millerite, and Jewish. And I believe that she was known to be a Quaker. Okay. And back then, Quakers were like I, I want to say like a, a branch of Christianity but I and don't quote me on this take this with a grain of salt but I'm pretty sure being Quaker was a more um like liberal futuristic approach to Christianity don't quote me on that look into it but I know that Quakers were like a, like a big deal at that time um in the early 1840s, she began to articulate thoughts about women's rights in her diaries and letters and participated in the Harrison political campaign of 1840. So already you can see she's like, women, like, you know, being all, being all gun-ho for women to have equal rights and, and, I, it's just nuts because you look up pictures of her and it's like the 18, this isn't like, feminism in the 1950s 1960s like this is early 1800s mm-hmm. and she's already you know blazing her own trail and being <laughs> crazy and I, I can't even imagine how that was taken at that time right um so by pretty much all accounts elizabeth blackwell was a tough cookie feminist from the get-go tough cookie. there there it is she resolved that she was going to make her own way in life from early on in 1844 from early on. In 1844, she got another job as a teacher in Henderson, Kentucky. She lasted only one year after being faced with the realities of slavery and the mistreatment of slaves at that time, after which she returned to Cincinnati in search of something else. Um, Elizabeth eventually went on to adopt a daughter who she called Kitty. I think her name was Catherine, but she called her Kitty. Okay. Who was with her for the duration of her life and never married. I was just gonna say she didn't have a man. Yeah. She never had she never had a man. So then she adopted and from what it sounds like she she died like a eighty year old virgin. That's crazy. Because even though she was like an early feminism, I mean you know feminism now is all about like own your sexuality and you know sleep with whoever you want to. But back then um, she had a very, very different approach and di- very different outlook on, you know, how women should act and all this kind of stuff. But, um, anyway, so, yeah, didn't have a man, didn't need a man, blazing her own way through life in a time when, when all the women were thought of as being good for was housewives. And had a daughter named Kitty. And baby carriers, right? Um, anyway, so... She didn't need no man. She was like, I'm going to adopt this daughter. I don't I don't need no man to have a kid. I don't need no man to live my life. It's all good. It's all great. Um, and then, yeah, she never she never married, which I think is awesome because she was too busy doing other stuff and making her way through life. Um, okay, so Elizabeth decided to become a doctor when a close friend who was dying said, I think I might have lived if I would have had a woman as a doctor because they're more compassionate and I might have gotten better treatment. It's not like a direct quote, but yes. Historians believe that the woman might have been dying of uterine cancer and might have sought help sooner or just closed more of her condition had there been the option of a female doctor. At the very least, her dying days would have been more comfortable being treated by a woman instead of being poked and prodded by some man who didn't didn't give two flutes. I feel like, and I feel like now it's... Like, I'm fine with going to a male doctor, but way back then when it was, like... Way back then, You don't right. know nothing about nobody else's, like, right. anything. It would have like, been really awkward. Medicine back then 
was weird. Like it is not what it is today. Like pretty much if you got to the point where you needed to go to a doctor, chances are you were coming out either like dead or you were coming out without a limb. Right. Like that's that's just what medicine like was back then. It was just off. it was just wild. It was just right. wild. I went into a very deep rabbit hole. Did you hole in did this. you read the part about when Oh, I can't remember what it is. If a like, certain thing about if they got sick, they thought yeah, they had to take the bad blood out. So they'd bloodletting, yeah. Your blood out and then mm-hmm. that's what killed you. Right, because it just made you weaker, but they thought yeah. that it was getting the infection out. Yeah. And did you know your barber used to be the one to do it to you? What? Have you seen those old barber, like the old barber shops and how they have like the swirling um, yeah. red and yeah. Yeah, white? Yeah, because your barber, so that comes traditionally from your, the barber used to be the person to take to bloodlet blood, you. Yeah. Oh my Like your gosh. hairdresser was also like somewhat of a doctor. Weird. Yeah, I think that might be like even before 1800s, but I, my brother was telling me it and I was like, no, no way. And then we looked it up. And it was real. I was like, oh my gosh. Some of that, like, turn of the century stuff, I am just... It's, like, creepy. It's creepy. It's, like, real creepy. Like, some of the old medical practices yeah. was just... Oh, uh, yeah. I can't even. I can't even get into it. Yeah. We've Good thing we've come such a far away. Um, okay. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, so Elizabeth Blackwell was so struck by this that it moved her to want to become a doctor. But not only that, she had to overcome a natural aversion... The idea of the guts and gore that came with the body and everything that came along with being a physician. So, like, she didn't even want, you know, like, when you're a kid and you're like, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. There was none of that. There was none of that. She was like, Uh, I love women. I love movements. I love being a pace setter for, you know, like, radical action in, in like, today's society and all this kind of stuff. She, She never even, like, being a doctor wasn't on her radar as far as I can tell until this point okay interesting like she was actually pretty grossed out by it it sounds like like she was like no not interested but this moved her so much that she was like you know what we're gonna put our big girl pants up yeah we're gonna figure it out and we're gonna make it happen okay so um along with the aversion so she had to come her own aversion along with the aversion that society had at the time towards the idea of a female doctor because she was yeah she wasn't at all interested to begin with and then Plus, what society thought of women. On mm-hmm. top of that, she had a lot to overcome, but she was so moved that she resolved to overcome all of this and actually set out to become a doctor herself. So, at the time, it was considered that a woman could not know enough about the human body to become a doctor and still be held to a standard of being an upright, moral woman. Because, I mean, like, it doesn't take a genius to know that part of becoming a doctor would be becoming very well-versed in the male anatomy. Very invasive. Very invasive. She wasn't even married. Right. She, it sounds like, like I said, she died a virgin. Yeah. And that's just speculation. Like, that's not written in stone anywhere, you guys. But, um, but pretty much, you know, an upright woman who has never even been married would have to look at male penises. Well, and she didn't have the Googles to, like, go look at all that stuff herself right or have right, tv exactly or anything so right exactly and it's not like it, that got taught in school right. by any means yeah. like regular school anyway um but you know what I, I kind of do wonder seems how she wasn't like um the tutors that she had her dad was so adamant on true maybe they her being some. her being taught no different than um her brothers that i wonder if she was taught any of that yeah. at all as a younger as a younger kid. That Something could be. Something to be thinking about. Yeah. Um, okay, anyway. So, b- b- despite all this, she was going to do it anyway. She's like, how am I going to do this? Um, and then she's like, okay, yep. So, this is how we do it. We go to medical school, obviously. But medical school was all like, no. <laughs> Women can't go to medical school. Doesn't happen. Ain't going to happen. Isn't going to happen anytime soon. Um, there, was, there was a few... There were a few ladies around the country at the time who were unlicensed physicians who learned their trade by becoming an apprentice to a licensed man. Okay. So they learn they um, got taught their practice and all that kind of stuff by men who had gone to medical school and then worked under them. Okay. But still, women weren't able to have like their own practice or anything like that. Um, but no woman at this time, had ever actually gone the more traditional route of actually going to medical school and getting licensed. Mm, interesting. And you'll see why a little bit later on. Um, two, so, 
Two Southern physicians mentored um, Elizabeth Blackwell, and after some time, she still couldn't get into medical school, even after um, practice, you know, studying with all of these different mentors and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, she had some physician friends who were also Quakers, and she asked them about her going to medical school, what they thought about it, and all that stuff. And they're like, you know what? That's a great idea, but it'll never work. Like, get your head out of the clouds and ultimately mm -hmm. shut her down. Yeah. Told her she was never going to get in. Told her instead, gave her this really beautiful piece of advice. Told her she should disguise herself as a man and go to France to learn medicine. Hey, that's actually a pretty good idea. Right, and she that's exactly what she said. She was like, she's like, oh, you know what? That's not a bad idea. Like, let's think about that. And yeah. she seriously considered it because right now, like now, we're like, that's ridiculous. Why would you ever do that? But like I said, at I the think time, she's the man. That's not that right, ridiculous. Exactly. Instead, though after deciding that that wasn't her route in life. Could, and listen, before going on the rest of the story, could you imagine if at that point in time she's like, yeah, let's go and pretend for the rest of my life that I'm a man? Because, I mean, it wasn't hard to fake an identity back then. You know, it's not like Well, that's true. Today. She was going to have to go, like, the rest of her life doing right. that. Right, exactly, if she wanted to practice oh, right. medicine. It's not like she could have gone it from France, come back, and be like, okay, I'm a lady now. Right, exactly. Yeah, actually, that's a bad idea. But if she didn't, yeah. if she did that... And, because it, it, I mean, it would have been possible. She was really smart, it sounds, I mean, she was really smart. It doesn't mm -hmm. just sound like it. She was really smart. Yeah. Um, brilliant from a young age. You know, she could have pulled it off. Right. But, can you imagine if she had all the moves and, and hurdles she knocked down for women that came after her? If she hadn't done that, I mean, I'm sure someone else would have come along, along later on, mm -hmm. but still all the stuff that she did. I'm like, I just imagine if at that time she was considering it, what if she had made the different choice, you a know, one, yeah. it's, it's crazy to think about. Um, okay. So instead she decided to work and save money and apply to medical school in the United States. In today's dollar, she would have needed about $85,000. Oh my gosh. So in 1844, she got a job as a teacher in Henderson, Kentucky. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but she lasted only a year after being faced with the realities of slavery and the mistreatment of slaves at that time, after which, after which she went on to teach at a few other places down south. After two years, she managed to make and save almost all the money she needed. While she was there, though, she wanted to teach the slave kids. She said she would do it pro bono, whatever. She's like, I'm teaching all these other kids. It's not fair that these slave kids aren't getting, you know, taught any education. I'm sure a lot of that had to do with her upbringing and how, mm -hmm. you know, her father made sure she had good education and all that kind of stuff too. Um, and also she was brought up in a household where her parents didn't believe in slavery either. Right. And the mistreatment that was going on in the nation. Um, she said, so she said she was do it pro, pro bono and they're like, that's all fine and well, but hey, guess what? It's against the law for you to teach slave kids. They're like, but you're allowed to teach them Sunday school if you want to. Oh. So she went ahead and did that. And during this time where she was um, teaching down south and teaching these um, slave kids, it, there was a quote from her in a letter that she wrote to, I don't know, a friend or um, family member. I didn't write it down here. But a direct quote from that letter was, I assure you I felt a little odd sitting there. Sitting before those degraded little beings, not degraded by her standards, but degraded by society and yeah. everyone she was around. Um, sitting there before those degraded little beings to teach them a religion which the owners profess to follow whilst violating its very first principles. Aww. Isn't that sad? Yeah. I don't know. I just, I don't know. It, may, I, it makes me so sad to think about and we could have an episode all about that, but this is about Elizabeth Blackwell, so we're going to be moving on. Um... So, she, being um, mentored and staying with the, sorry, excuse me, while she was down south teaching, moving around from, I think there was like four different states she taught in at this time down south, um, she stayed with these different mentors and these different physicians while she was teaching, and so she would teach, and then she would go and be taught by these different physicians and mentors, mm -hmm. um, one of whom was actually a professor of medicine. He had all the books and taught her all he could, which back then was really the only way a woman could become a physician. But still, it was an unlicensed physician. So she was learning everything, okay. but she still didn't have the credibility of having an actual medical license. Okay. Um, so obviously, she still wanted to do the real deal. She was 
very, very, very resilient. It seemed like she would come to a point in her life, she's like, this is good, not good enough. And she would figure out a way to pull out down those hurdles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, uh, okay, so she applied to all the medical schools in New York and Philly, and 12 more in the Northeast. And she was eject- rejected by all of them. And on the 30th application to Geneva Medical College in Western New York in 1847, she was accepted. Wow. But, wait for it, she was accepted because it was a joke. Uh, it was a joke. Listen to this. Could you, um, could you imagine? Literally, I would apply to, like, maybe 10 schools. If I got rejected by even, like, 10 schools, let alone, like, medical school, knowing everything it seemed that she knew at this time... Yeah. And still got rejected, I would be like, whatever, forget it. Forget yeah, it. Forget right. about it. Just be done. Just be done. And then she gets accepted, but she got accepted as a joke. So listen to this. Okay. So the dean of the med school basically was like, you know what? Donato's just didn't add bacon to their pizzas. They added bacon to their bacon. Canadian bacon and hardwood smoked bacon. Or Canadian bacon and Chipotle seasoned bacon. Get $2 off a large bacon duo or any large pizza. Use promo code 2. Donato's. Every piece is important. All of us men sitting around here, all of us stuffy old men, are going to take a vote. And if every single man here votes to let her in we'll we'll let her in we'll let her come to med school yeah but if a single person votes no she's out she's not coming but here's the deal everyone thought that it was a prank from the neighboring from the neighboring rival medical school so they're all like oh sure let her in like this is how ridiculous it was nobody thought that no one took it seriously they're like a woman it was just so ridiculous to think that a woman would be applying for medical school that they're like meh yeah, I'll let her in. It's a joke, whatever. Blah, like blah, someone blah. else sent this, right? Someone else sent this. The neighboring school. Oh, those guys are hilarious over there. Well, like, oh sure, let her in. Let her in. Y- yeah, you can almost right. like picture it, like right. the locker room feel, like oh whatever, making fun of this because it's just so ridiculous. Right, just so ridiculous. It's it's hard to wrap your mind around, but try to wrap your mind around it. Um, so they're all like, sure, let her in, and then she shows up. It wasn't a joke. <laughs> Can you just imagine hearing about that later, though? Yeah. Can you just imagine hearing about that later? Like, well, here's the deal, dude. Like, we thought it was a joke. Like, we didn't actually mean to take this so seriously. Like, I don't know. Just crazy. Yeah. Just crazy. After being rejected 30 times. Just crazy. Um, anyway. So, when she showed up, she was taking everything quite seriously. She was 26 by this time and had already spent a great deal of time being mentored in the art of medicine, and had traveled all over the country. Quite possibly, and probably, let's be real, making her more mature than some of her classmates. Mm. Classmates. Mm-hmm. On top of that, she was very aware of the fact that she was, quote-unquote, breaking the rules, so to speak. She was mm-hmm. outside of the norm. She shouldn't have been there, but she was. Mm-hmm. She was causing ripples and um, making waves and all that. But, yeah, she, so she was very aware of all the obstacles that lied ahead. The fact that she was there and accepted into medical school as a woman was so odd that it actually made headlines in numerous papers in New York and Boston. That's so funny. Are you ready for this? This is my favorite little tidbit that I found while doing research. Um, The Boston Medical Journal wrote, She comes into the class with great composure. She takes off her bonnet and puts it under the seat, exposing a fine phrenology. P-H-R-E-N-O-L-O-G-Y. And I'm like, I don't know what that word is. No. Like, this is 1840-something. I don't know yeah. what that word is. What's phrenology? And I, right. And, um, and so I looked it up. Can you take any guess? Okay, exposing, uh, she takes off her bonnet, puts it under the seat, exposing a fine phrenology. Is it something to do with her hair? Close. Guess mm-hmm. again. I don't know. Okay. What else it could phrenology. be? Phrenology. The detailed study of the shape and size of the cranium or skull as a supposed indication of character and mental abilities. What? Could you, could literally, if someone... Looking at someone's skull and determining how, like, smart, smart they, they are, are, or, like, how, or their character, or anything like... Could you, literally, if you walked up to a girl right now and started making... If you walked up to a woman right now and started making comments about the size or shape of her skull, she would, like backhand you and be like 
who are you to tell That's me so anything weird. like this? Like, could you, I, I couldn't, I read that and I'm like, we're literally making comments about the at least size thought, of her skull. At least I thought she was smart. I mean, right, right, right. That? It does say exposing a fine phrenology. Right. Like, what is that? That's, That's that word. So I'm bizarre. gonna, that's gonna be my go to compliment from now on. You have a fine phrenology. They'll be like, oh, what's that? Right. I wrote in here, these home, these homies were literally commenting on the appearance and shape of her head. <laughs> I'm like, what is happening? Okay. So, as we already kind of mentioned a little bit, m- medical practices back then were a little bit weird, but medical school in its own regard was also very different than it is now. From what I read, it almost sounded like the classrooms had a little bit of a boys' locker room kind of atmosphere to them. The men would often cause a ruckus and even blurt out crude jokes in the middle of lectures spurred on by the um, teachers. Really sounds like a bunch of junior high boys learning about girls' periods for the first time. Yeah, no kidding. That's like, from what I read, that's what it sounded like. Um... But apparently, Elizabeth's effect on the whole classroom was evident in the fact that every class she was in, everyone took it more seriously because she was there. Probably having a great deal to do with the fact that it was incredibly improper at the time for men to be inappropriate or lewd around women. Oh. You know? like That's true. Like now, I mean, boys, they, do, they are. Boys, yeah. like, you know. Boys are boys. Boys are boys. That's literally what it is now. Yeah. But back then it was, you know, you tipped your hat and you're like, oh, good day, madam, or yeah, whatever right. the heck they said in 1840, but right. it was very proper and etiquette and right. polished, you know? Huh. Um, women were men and boys were boys and you didn't let your real self show in front of them. Right. Um... <clears throat> Everyone just knew that you kind of bit your tongue in class if Elizabeth Blackwell happened to be in it. But even beyond that, there was this underlying idea that these men were corrupting her morals by being in the same class with her as she learned about the male anatomy, much less being the instructor teaching the class. So there's this whole idea that, like, because she was learning all of these, like, body parts and looking at this, like, and learning about the gore and blood and guts of the human body and all this stuff, that she was somehow becoming, like, corrupted because you know women Mm. were polished and well dressed Mm. and clean and dainty and feminine and like blood what no you don't need to know anything about that male anatomy no 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 no. and so in their mind sitting there as she was learning this stuff they were almost contributing to that corruption especially Mm -hmm. it sounded like the teachers felt like that too Hmm. um she would often even be asked to take a step outside when a lecture would start getting a little rough or graphic could you, could you imagine? But, in typical Elizabeth fashion. She said no. She was like, screw that. I got rejected 30 times. I was taught when I was younger, like a boy, that ain't stopping now. Yeah. Well, if she's going to be the doctor, she right. obviously needs to know. Right, exactly. Like, <laughs> so, she wasn't going to put up with any of that. Um, if you, like I said, if you remember back in the earlier parts of her story, her father made sure that she was taught and brought up no different than her brothers. And I made a note here, I'm like... Just how much a father, a father's, you know, presence and how involved he is or, or even just parents in general, just how much it can like make or break someone's future and who they are Mm -hmm. is just, you know, and I think her, her father obviously did an amazing job because she like changed the whole freaking world for women. So anyway. Um, so because she was educated like a boy in her earlier years, she had a full expectation to not be left out of anything in med school. And eventually she overcame the opposition and the kind of weird sexist nature that they view, the weird sexist nature they viewed her in. In the end, she even graduated first in her class. Doesn't that just like give you like such satisfaction? And you're like, well, and then you have to think about it. All these, like, obviously they probably all, cause it's medical school had a little bit of education before her, but she had, like, the best tutors when she, she was did. growing up. Mm-hmm. She had been, you know, mentoring all underneath all of these, like, professors and doctors right. and all this stuff before, mm-hmm. for years and years and years before she even got accepted into medical school. Right, right. So you have to think, like, how many of those lectures were she sitting there and she's like, I know this, I know this, I know this, I'm just here for my license. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like that's probably a lot of what was going on. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, okay. In the end, yeah, she even graduated first in her class. She was the best student. In 1849, she graduated first, ultimately earned the respect of her fellow students, um, not to say 
but not to say it was all smooth sailing. There were obviously still some naysayers and people with bad attitudes towards mm. her. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, it sounded like, for the most part, a lot of her classmates were were really supportive, even, like, helped her out when she needed help and all mm-hmm. this kind of stuff. And were honestly, like, cheering her on. But then, obviously, there was a bunch of people who were right. still like, you're a woman, you shouldn't be here. She and still had the bullies. Surprisingly enough... Even winning over a lot of her male classmates, there were plenty of women who were not happy with what she had done. I bet. Because they were like, you're a woman, this isn't your place, blah, 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 blah. And honestly, probably a lot of that was just, like, jealousy. I was just going to say, I'm sure they were just jealous. They're like, I'm stuck in the house making, like, loaves of bread all day. Yeah. And back then they had a nanny, so it wasn't even like your purpose was to raise your kids. Mm -hmm. Or they have governors or whatever. Governess. Or whatever, so... Like, can you imagine how, like, bored that would be? Like, my job is to sit here and look pretty. Mm-hmm. So, I'm guessing a lot of it was probably jealousy. That's right. what I think, anyway. Um, so, ultimately, I earned respect for fellow students. Not to say it was all smooth sailing. Okay. So, apparently, even at her graduation, the medical school's dean bowed to her when she accepted her diploma. And the audience busted out in applause. Aww. From what I found, I wasn't sure if this was actually fact or if this was from, like, the, from some movie. I forgot what the movie was called, but there was some movie that mentions, that mentions this in it. And I'm not sure if this is actually, um, this is actually fact, but we're just gonna say it is. We're gonna hope it's true. We're gonna fact. hope it's true because yeah. that would be, I would cry. That's so sweet. I would cry. Um, surprisingly, um, wow. Okay, so, um, Wow. I'm sorry, I lost my place here. One second. When she accepted diploma and the audience busted out in applause. Um, as she carried on, she moved to London to pursue her own practice. And when she got there, they gave her the job of a midwife. They're like, oh, you uh, you have all this incredible medical knowledge and you could even go on to be a surgeon and all this stuff and because that's what her plan was was to go on and be a surgeon Mm -hmm. because um like I said her friend earlier on they think died of cancer Mm -hmm. so her goal was to be like an actual surgeon right and um and they're like you know what you have all this training you know where we're gonna stick you with the nurses as a midwife so pretty much treated her as barely a step up above nurses, which nothing against nurses either. But she did a lot more. But she did her. so much work to get right. to where she was, and then they're like, "Yeah, you get to be a midwife. Mm-hmm. Go take care of some babies. Go deliver some babies." Um. So. Also, on top of all of this, um, of being thought as you know less than all that kind of stuff getting chucked aside to deliver babies, which is an honorable profession too. But um, she also had this very forward thinking and rev- that was revolutionary at the time because she sees all these men, she's all these men walking around in the hospital or wherever she is, not washing their hands. Which, Ew. this gets even in- more interesting, okay? So nobody's washing their hands and she's all like, hey, you know, it's not great. Like, I have this I, this crazy idea that dirty hands around open wounds might not be the best, mm-hmm. right? So she's like, she's like, maybe we should wash our hands. Right. And they're like, you're a woman, go deliver babies. And she's like, um, but maybe you should, like, wash your hands before you do surgery. So while she's dealing with all of this, like, crazy being treated this way, no one's listening to her, whatever, mm-hmm. she looked like a crazy basket case because she brought up this not nutso idea of preventative care mm-hmm. okay which now we know it's like hey don't want to get type 2 diabetes maybe watch your diet right type of thing mm-hmm. right like preventative care right which was just crazy at the time because everyone in the medical field was all about cures and sawing off limbs <laughs> so to have someone suggest the idea that you could prevent something from happening was just like absolutely absurd it's like right. no 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 we can't stop anything like life just happens and yeah. then we find a cure it was all about cures at the time yeah so at the time everyone was still saying that bad smells made you sick like bad Weird. smells is how viruses spread so if nothing smelled bad it was fine <laughs> it was fine it was just bad smells that's weird and like no that's just your bo deodorant won't be invented for another like 200 years <sighs> um a side note the ideas of germs here's here's a little history for you 
A side note, the idea of germs didn't even come around to being a solid working theory until as late as the 1890s. It was just starting to be theorized in the 1950s that germs were a thing by Louis Pasteur. Um, until I think he was thrown into an insane asylum from having that theory. I've heard, yes, I've heard that before. Um, so that's where, um, on that episode of The Way I Heard It with Mike Rowe, he does an episode, and I think it's called Tiny Bits of Corpse. And pretty much what it was, was um, he was a doctor, and there was this crazy thing that was happening that there were student doctors in one wing of the, like, um pregnancy whatever delivering babies so there was one wing where women went when the um like main wing was full and all of the actual licensed doctors had their hands full delivering babies and stuff like that and then there was this other wing where all the students um would deliver babies when their their load got a little too heavy in the other Mm -hmm. wing and over time they noticed that the death rate with mothers was so 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 much higher in the actual doctor's wing as opposed to the student's wing Mm -hmm. and so this guy louis he comes in he's like hmm maybe we should look into this so he has all these different ideas and all this stuff and then he has this like crazy random thought he's like you know what i'm realizing is the same people that deal with like, the autopsies mm-hmm. and the corpses and stuff down in the basement are also delivering right, and then, for these mothers. Right. And so he had this idea that, which uh, he didn't know at the time, was germs being passed yeah. from not washing your hands or anything right. like that or sanitizing anything, that tiny bits of corpses of corpses were getting into, you know, the mother's bloodstream right. or body or mm-hmm. whatever. And they're all like, no, 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 you're crazy, blah, blah, blah. No one would listen to him. Mm-hmm. Eventually he made such a ruckus and, you know, bothered the wrong people that they threw him into an insane asylum. So, kind of died out for a little bit. The thought of germs died out for a little bit. Um, and then later was picked up again. So that was in the 1950s that that happened and he was thrown into the insane asylum. Mm-hmm. And then later got picked back up again by Robert Co- Koch? Koch? And... The 1880s, and by the end of the decade, the bad smells theory was finally, which has a name, but I didn't write it down, was finally, it starts with like an M, like it's like the mirror or something, you medical people know what I'm trying to say, um, the bad smells theory was finally starting to struggle to hold up against the germ theory, and I think by the end of the 1890s, um, like viruses were a thing, Hmm, like viruses spread by germs were a thing. Interesting. So, I mean, that's kind of crazy thing though, because then that's like, right at like the start of like the 1900s they're like oh yeah maybe we should be like washing our hands right crazy. yeah and that's not that crazy long ago oh i know like that's scary yeah. that's so weird to think like how did the human race survive that's I all i want to it know it's crazy okay so off of that little bunny trail so elizabeth so for elizabeth blackwell to suggest hand washing as a part of preventative medicine in the late 1840s was really ahead of its time. Mm-hmm. Plus, she was a woman. I mean, a man brought up the idea, and they threw his butt in the loony bin, and then this woman comes up, and she's like, so guys, um... And they're like, no, no. They didn't even give her a second thought. In short, everyone thought she was crazy and stuck her with delivering babies as a result. Sometimes in... Sometime in the early time of being a midwife, she lost sight in, her, in her, one of her eyes due to pus shooting into it from an infected baby. So, she was, you know, delivering a baby or whatever, I don't know, and the baby had an infected wound, and it got into one of her eyes, and the infection got so bad that she went blind in her left eye. Wow. Yeah. That's nasty. It's just a sad story on all accounts, because... shot into her eye. Yeah, it's just not great. Um, so the story's sad all on its own, but extra sad, because she then wasn't able to become a surgeon, which was her ultimate goal. Um, after that, she moved to the UK from Paris, where she met a friend named Florence Nightingale, which is just so cool that they were friends, because she's, like, another incredible woman from that time. Um, she could get her own episode, but don't have the time. Um, they became good friends and bonded over the importance they both placed on having good hygiene. They're like... Yes, love hygiene. <laughs> love hygiene. You like to wash your hands. I like to wash my hands. We can Let's be friends. Be friends. Yeah. So yeah, they actually became good friends. Um, then went back to the, then she went back to the U.S. in 1851, wanting to start up her own practice in New York. She didn't have a lot of opportunity or respect, 
And as a result, she didn't get her practice started up like she had wanted. So she applied for a job at a dispensary. And after getting rejected for that job, she decided to open up her own dispensary. Like, this is what I'm saying. Every time she, like, gets faced with, like, any kind of adversity, she's like, bet. Like, like, I feel like she was the OG, like, bet person. You know? She's like, you want to see what I'll end up doing? You Mm -hmm. want to see? You sure you want to mess with me? Um, So she opened up her own dispensary. And after, um, and after. After that, she saw a few patients a few days a week in a small rented space and eventually upgraded to a house in 1854. Her sister, who followed in her fo- sister's footsteps, becoming the third woman li- licensed physician. Oh, that's cool that her sister right. was like, hey, I'm going to do this too. Right, exactly. Joined her in 1856. Elizabeth eventually decided she wanted to do it in England too and started going back and forth doing the same thing in both places while also taking on different social reform movements that had lots to do with women's rights, family planning, hygiene, and preventative medicine. So, I I didn't look more into this, if this is actually the kind of family planning, but it sounds like she was being like, hey women, if you want to like have, have sexy time and yeah. not get pregnant, right. listen to this. Yeah. Just listen. Right. Which like... That's funny. Which now, it's almost like the more conservative version of, um, of like... You not know, getting birth pregnant. control or right. whatever, per, per, like to prevent getting pregnant or whatever. But back then, I'm sure everyone was like, "You mean like women just have sex because they want to have sex? What? Like, right. could you imagine? Like, right? You know, like not trying to be inappropriate or anything, but that was the time that they were in. That mm-hmm. I don't know. I I just that's I, crazy. I think it's crazy. Anyway, um, so where was I? Through family planning hygiene and preventative medicine all with her adopted daughter in tow it's not like her do- adopted daughter was just like hanging out like yeah mom you're the best don't help me <laughs> out with anything um you go mom she was by no doubt a feminist through and through but on the flip side of that she was a moralist and a prude i put in quotation marks hmm. She was really concerned with the moral purity of women, of women, saying if a woman had sex out of wedlock, she had traded in her morals. And if a woman had sex out of wedlock, then she would think about other men when she was with her husbands, and, like, mm. homes would disintegrate and all this kind of stuff. And then if right. more and more women started doing that, then, like, pretty much the whole country would be in a disarray because women were having sex outside of marriage and it was, it was breaking up families people. later on and blah, right. blah, 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 and all this stuff. So although she was... A feminist for her time she was very much a victorian feminist and right. um was really really adamant on conveying how important like pure morals were mm-hmm. um but she but while doing this she still identified the male as the aggressors in this so she even went as far as like spreading awareness through pamphlets to mothers and women the dangers of pure marital sex and to look out for these like predatorial men who would try to, you know, sweet talk them and convince them to, you know, have sex outside of marriage or whatever. Mm, gotcha. So, um, which I mean, fair enough. Right. Um, which is very different than how feminism looks today. Mm-hmm. Like I said before, you know, everyone's all like, own your sexuality and all right. that kind of stuff and mm-hmm. have sex. It's no big deal. And which, again, is, could be a whole nother topic, but this is about Elizabeth. Um, and we're almost done. So, <clears throat> note, oh, I put this in all caps because I got to thinking about this <laughs> after I'm like, she's doing all this crazy stuff and she's doing this, this, and that, and the other. She's been single the whole time. Mm-hmm. She's living her Has life. Kitty. Doing it, like, she's like, I'm opening up a dispensary and a clinic here, and I'm also doing it in London. I'm going back and forth, which travel that at that time. I was just thinking about when you said that, that she did go on about... And honestly, right. who knows if you're even going to make it during right, that time. Right, exactly. But she's like, I'm going to make it happen. Right. Like, London needs female doctors. The U.S. needs female doctors. We're going to hop right. back and forth. And plus, she's doing all these things for... There's tons of different movements that she, like, headed during this time, too. Mm-hmm. And it's like, she had the time because she didn't have a husband telling her to sit in the corner and look pretty. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I just think that's so cool. Like, she's just doing, she doing just does her thing, thing, making her own way, raising her daughter... Um, okay, so, also, she is a, she is what would be known as today a feminist for life. She was a staunch anti-abortion feminist. You can make the case that one of the reasons she pursued being a doctor was because she caught wind of a woman performing abortions, and that woman was labeled as a female physician, which I guess was, like, code for women abortionists at the time. Oh, okay. 
So Elizabeth was so appalled by this that she wanted to give the term new meaning to actually mean a female licensed doctor. Oh, None of cool. this, or her views, undermines the work she did to trailblaze the feminism movement. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, she's just a, a Victorian feminist, if you will. Right. Um, so then the Civil War rolls around, and her and her sister trade nurses for the field, do that for a while. Um, her and her sister, or sisters, because I think there was a, a group of women okay. that did that along with her, but I'm not 100% sure on that. Okay. Um, she decides that what the world really needs is a medical school for women and starts seeking out funding for it. She finally gets enough backing for it in 1868. And the New York Infirmary, where she originally had opened up her, I think is what I understood, where she had originally opened up her dispensary and then, like, little clinic or whatever, oh, yeah. where she would see patients, it was finally established as a medical school with okay. 15 students, 9 faculty, and she was the professor of hygiene. Her sister okay. was also taught there. Um, her, like, slew of of things she taught was, like, too long for me to write, though, and so I just moved on. Um, <laughs> she not only opened up this clinic clinic in New York, but also one in London later on. For 32 years, she was pretty much the sole provider to teaching women in the medical field until Cornell started accepting women in 1899. Wow. So she was just like running the show with, like, her, I got this. with her two schools, teaching women and that wanted, you know, to learn or whatever mm-hmm. and being like preventative care, mm-hmm. let's learn about hygiene, it's right. not smells, all that kind of stuff. Until finally 1899 when Cornell was like, I guess women might know what they're talking about. Right. It's like, okay, well, they're going ahead and doing this. We need right. to, like, get with it. So, um, she ended up in 1907 at 86. She fell down a flight of stairs and was disabled and eventually died in 1910 of a stroke. Oh. But that yeah. was but really old right. for that time. Eight, um, yeah, she was 86. And it sounds like for, like, pretty much the last 20 years of her life she didn't practice a lot of medicine, but she was still, like very, you know, involved in the medical world. Still healthy, and, kind yeah, of? Yeah, and, like, okay. blazing away for women and still being, like, crazy Elizabeth mm-hmm. Blackwell. Um, anyway, she finally, finally set up a personal practice in London in 1870, Aww. which is what she, like, originally set out to do, right. was to, you know, start up her own practice. I think that's so cool. Um, in 1874, um, the London School of Medicine for Women was established with her and, like, a few other people that I didn't write down. So that wasn't just her, but she was, um, part of the main goings-on of that. And, yeah, she was, um, most well-known for, um, blazing the trail for women, being one of the OG leaders of the feminist movement, um, avid, avid promoter for prevention is better than cure, and made moves for women across the board as well as humanity, I would say. And um, ultimately, her goals in life were to help the poor, help women maintain their moral purity, and help make it so more women could become doctors. All of which she did. Because I think something else that was in there, too, was um, that, um, um, what was it? The little clinic that she had in New York in that house. She opened up to... um, like the poor pretty much who couldn't right. afford proper health care mm-hmm. so yeah and that is the moving story of elizabeth blackwell one of the trailblazers for the feminism movement who have made it possible i mean for even you and me to sit here today and talk about the keto diet and how good right. and how good you know um what is that stuff that we drink the Coffee, tea, no, matcha. What is this stuff? Oh, collagen? Collagen, there we go. That's what also got me thinking about it too because there's so many like even blogs and stuff now of like like, like different health fads and all that like kind of stuff. Like supplements and right? like things to help and you. Yes. Yeah. And it's so much. And then I, like with this whole corona thing, like there's so many, you know, nurses out there and stuff. And I'm just like, oh my gosh. And it's just this huge, huge part of history that... I found fascinating anyway. Yeah, no, that was so interesting. Is there so is there a movie on it then? I think there might be. Okay, because I don't know. Not, I was should, I maybe? looked at a lot of stuff. You it guys make like such a good movie. Yeah, or or if there's not a movie strictly on it, I know it's at least mentioned in another movie. Okay, I'll have to 
look into that more and I'll let you guys know on oh, the gram. Yeah. That was super interesting. Did you know any of that? No, I mean I knew what you're talking about about germs and the little pieces of corpses. I knew that. But I did not know anything about her. I don't think I'd ever heard of her before. Yeah. Uh-uh. That's well, crazy. Yeah. I learned something. You guys learned something. So anyway. It's a win-win situation. It's a win-win. It's a situation. mutual relationship. A mutual relationship. That's right. Bring it all back to the tapeworm. Anyway. But the tapeworm is not a mutual relationship. No, it's the opposite. Is no. it? What? No, it's not. The tapeworm just takes, doesn't give. Takes, doesn't give, so it's not a mutual no, relationship. No, exactly. But the algae and the fungus is a mutual relationship. Wow. So much. I literally read that. I literally read this like two days ago. <laughs> I don't know why. It just really stuck out to me. In well, geography. I don't know if we'll ever do this again, but this has been History Hour. History Hour. Let history us know hour. if you guys like it. Yeah, let us know if you guys like it. We can do more story time. It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be like a history, history story. story. Yeah. But yeah, let us know how you guys liked story time. And um, like, subscribe, hit us up on the Instagram at Coffee and a Combo Podcast. Mm-hmm. And we will, you will hear us here again next week on another episode. Next week. You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly. You know, as different as everything seems this holiday season, one thing still holds true year after year. Everybody loves holiday scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. And with tickets available from $1 to $20, they're the perfect gift for anyone on your list 18 years or older. So, stay safe this year and play it safe with your gift-giving. Give scratch-offs from the Ohio Lottery. Lottery players are subject to Ohio laws and commission regulations. Please play responsibly.